everybody to Nurse Coffee Talk. We are so incredibly grateful to have you today. I think we have a fantastic episode planned today and I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. We're jumping um, right in folks. Jumping right in. Yeah, no time to waste. No. Nope. Uh, we are going to talk about ethical dilemmas in Ooh. clinical practice here. Um, I know. And I have, I have an interesting one to start us off. And I am really interested to hear your feedback. So lay it on me. I'm ready. Okay. So for most of us in the hospital setting, I will say, um, and maybe long-term care facilities, this might be an issue as well. Um, you have the issue of code status and boy, do we, <laughs> well, it's become <laughs> boy, boy. An- it, it's become an ever-blossoming ball sure of wax. Sure, that's a good one to start with, because that's definitely the most pervasive one that comes up, I think. It's it's an issue, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have... Okay, so you have this situation where... Um, let's say you have a 94-year-old, uh, very weakly, I would say not healthy or or let's even say healthy either way um you have this 94 94 95 year old patient that comes in and they are a full code and family wants them to be a full code and maybe the patient wants to be a full code um or you have somebody that's like has no quality of life whatsoever mm-hmm. um in fact i oh my gosh this brings up a, a huge point. I had a lady like a couple weeks ago who she was, okay. So she was in her late fifties. So way younger, but she, I mean, she looked at least 80 years old. I mean, she, yeah. she was Sick a sickly a woman and yeah. she, she was maybe 70 pounds soaking wet. I mean, Aww. she was like emaciated. She had stage four lung cancer with metastasis. Oh, God. Um, she was missing almost all of her teeth. She was unable to swallow anything. Um, and zero family, quality of life with that. Zero, zero. I mean, zero. Well, zero. Not only zero quality of life, but essentially, she had just been diagnosed with stage four cancer um, like six months ago. And the the Hemoc people had told the family that they couldn't start chemo. Uh, because she was too sick. And mm-hmm. so the family... Now, of course, I wasn't present for those conversations, so I don't know what all was told to the family. But the family did not have any sort of realistic view of what this person's outcome was going to be. And mm-hmm. the family was insistent that she be a full code and was insistent that really all she needed to do was gain some weight and get a little healthier, and then they'd be able to start cancer or chemo and cure her cancer. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just like a completely unrealistic expectation of outcomes. And in the meantime, this lady has, she's bedridden. She has no quality of life. Multiple people have approached them about hospice, palliative care. Multiple people have approached them about code status. And they're just like, no, no, she's she's a full code. As soon as we can get her to put some weight on, um, you know, we're going to start chemo. And, okay, so this is the type of patient that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Can I interject momentarily? Yes. Because I have a strong opinion about that already. Oh, okay. Which, you know, hello, I'm Sarah. I have strong opinions about most things. Sarah, did we just meet? <laughs> um, poor, so we call that, right, poor insight. You know, when we describe someone who doesn't have a realistic view of their outcome or for their family, we call that poor insight. Mm-hmm. Poor insight starts with some healthcare provider that wasn't fully honest. Oh, I mean, I agree completely. But, well, wait, no, no, no. I take that back. I don't agree completely because sometimes people hear what they want to hear. You're totally right. And we talked about that in Press Ganey. Like, some people, no matter what you say to them, it doesn't matter. So you're, you're totally right about that. Um, but I do still think that it's it really, you set the standard and you set the expectation early and providers are afraid to scare people or they overestimate how much people understand whatever it may be and then it's it sets up this cascade of events that now on the in the front line as we are mm-hmm. at the end of this patient's life realistically we're right. trying to have hard conversations when it's when it, it should have happened six months ago and she could have been home comfortable on hospice this whole time right sure yeah all right but, anyway, i'm sorry continue okay but that being said um I also think, though, when you're talking about something like this and, like, a recent diagnosis of cancer and things like that, as a family member, if you're in that room and you're receiving that information and you hear that word cancer, I mean, doesn't a fog kind of go over you at that point? I mean, it's point? extremely traumatizing. You're, I mean, absolutely, and so, yes. And so Healthcare you're really, worker or not, I've been traumatized by that conversation. And you do feel like that, you hear, like, an asystole noise. Like, in a movie for a minute. Like, right. I don't, can't even process what words are happening now. Right. And so anything that comes out of that provider's mouth afterwards, uh, you're not hearing. Yeah. You know? And so if the provider says anything that might be hopeful, you're hanging on to that. You latch on to it. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I can't say that I blame family. But as healthcare providers, there are certain situations like this one I'm describing that, like, you know that there really there isn't there isn't hope in this situation like this person is at end of life yeah i mean this person is end of life she had when i got her she hadn't had in front of you i mean she hadn't eaten anything in three days okay she hadn't taken any oral intake in three days i mean and i didn't want to be the one to put an ng in this poor late but anyway terrible okay so this sets up our situation for an ethical dilemma, an ethical situation. Um, I have not personally been a part of this myself, um, but I know that it's it's happened. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something called a slow code. Um, and it's an unofficial term. I don't even know if you Googled it, what would come up. Um, but if you've been in the situation, you're probably familiar with at least nursing discussions about it. And so what this is essentially is... Nursing staff recognizing that the reality is that this person is at end of life 
despite the fact that family wants all interventions done, um, the slow code is essentially if this patient uh, goes into respiratory or cardio or cardiac arrest, that we maybe move a little bit slower to perform resuscitative efforts uh, and kind of let nature take its course before we get a chance to really fully intervene. And kind of, I think, and we can have another full discussion about this, I think families appreciate when the decision is taken out of their hands and they feel like I'm not the one choosing to, in their eyes, kill my relative Mm -hmm. because X, Y, and Z is happening. Okay, but the discussion, but the discussion is from an ethical perspective of nursing. Mm -hmm. Is this something we should be doing? Is this right of us to do? Is it? I don't know. What What are your thoughts on it? (sighs) So I feel conflicted because. During a very scary, traumatizing hospital, ICU, ER, whatever, stay is not a great time to be having the difficult conversation, even though that is, of course, when it comes up. Um, so from so like as a small personal example, my my family, my extended family was divided evenly in half when my grandfather was dying of who thought that we should be comfort care measures and who thought we had to be as aggressive as possible. And we ended up going comfort care based on the recommendations of this wonderful nurse who really took the time to like be kind to us and talk us through it and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But the, the people in the family who were just set in their hearts of what needed to happen because they weren't ready for him to die to yeah. this day, describe her as that woman that bullied us into killing our father. Hmm. They described the nurse that way? The nurse that way, yeah. Wow. And so, wow is right for a variety of reasons. But, and and unsurprisingly, the ones who were pro-comfort care were all the nurses in my family. So it was like me and like four of my aunts. Because they knew the reality of the situation. Right. So, I think... So let's, let's go back to the root of the question. The question is, is doing a slow code in which you are kind of letting nature take its course and not doing aggressive measures in the same way that you would with, like, you know, a full resuscitation ethical? I think, yes, when we know that there's no hope of recovery, but the family isn't ready. I mean, I, I guess the question comes down to, is that, like, manipulative? Is that... Um, What's the word I'm thinking of? Like, well, I mean, falsifying like medical care. Well, I mean, you're essentially, I mean, you're, you're essentially going against the family's wishes because, and you're, and you're inflicting your own opinion into the scenario. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I'm, and I'm not saying that it's not morally the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do because, I mean, to be quite honest, like, I don't want to be the nurse cracking the ribs of this 68-pound well, no lady who's not going to make it, you know? First do no harm. 
And it's hard to walk past that when legally a family member who has poor insight is, is making what is by any standard, the wrong call. Yeah. Let alone, I mean, if the patient is able to have their own wishes, okay, then we need to do what we need to do. But when it's a family member who is, there's no way that they are coming to that decision objectively. So a completely subjective, emotional family member and reminder, I've been that person. So I understand Right. making that decision and having legal rights in that way is frustrating. And like you're, you're actively as a nurse, have your hands on this patient, harming them, causing them suffering when you know that there's a better way. That's, that's hard. But you know, that better way is death. And and you're, you're choosing that for the family. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily feel that way when you're doing it, but I think you're probably right in your objective assessment of it. I'm not, I'm not saying I feel that way. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just putting out both sides there because I think, I mean, I think you could make an argument for either way. I mean, I think on one hand, you're, uh, you're, you're taking the decision out of the family's hands for better or worse. Um, and you're right. I mean, sometimes if the decision's taken out of the family's hands, then it's a non-issue. But I mean, I think ultimately, go ahead. I'm sorry. When you have a family sitting there saying, no, do every invasive measure. And you're very clear, like, okay, we're going to push on her chest. We're going to crack every rib Mm -hmm. in her body. We're going to shove a tube down her throat to help her breathe. And she's likely never going to come off that tube because she has stage four lung cancer with metastasis to the rest of her body. Uh, are you sure this is what you want me to do? We're going to put a feeding tube down in her and that's how she's going to get her nutrition for the rest of her life. Are you sure this is what you want us to do? And they're sitting there going, yeah, yeah. Well, then, then, and then absolutely and then, you, sh- you should be doing that. But I don't think people have that level of honest conversation. Now, maybe in this case they did, but I think most of the time they do not have that level of honest conversation. Okay, but let's take, let's push this a step farther. Let's say we've had that level of conversation and the family is saying, yeah, and you're 70 pounds soaking wet, never coming back to life person is laying in your bed and coding. Are you, you're jumping on that chest as hard and fast as you can? I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't, I mean, look, this is, this is the ethical dilemma. This is is why we bring it up. And so we had a similar one um, in our MICU where they were coding the patient aggressively, not like not slow coding, really, um, and deemed her, you know, couldn't can't get her back. Um, And the doctor started to say time of death. And the family said, you know, through through an absolute fit, devastated. No, no, no. We have to wait for it was some it was some religious they wanted someone from in their religion. I can't remember the details and I'm not going to disclose that anyway. Cause it's not, you know, HIPAA, but, um, sure. They needed someone to come into town and they were a few hours away and they wanted them to be at the bedside. What? When she died. So, um, how to me, on. it was, it was wild. So it got to the point. So they wouldn't allow the doctor to call time of death, which in my opinion, I think a doctor is able to do that regardless maybe they yeah, were I mean, citing the because it was citing, dead i mean well maybe because they were citing like religious beliefs I, I don't know but like if the patient said the patient's dead so it got to the point where all the nurses refused to do compressions anymore and they were calling residents from other icus to come hop on the chest and, and continue wait they literally kept doing compressions on this person for hours 
oh. to me there's a right and wrong answer in that without a oh doubt. My God. Well, that's Yeah, I mean that that comes down to the religious issue, but come I on. Mean, someone I mean, someone truly objective I, could say if she's dead, she doesn't care. At what point are you calling risk management going this is out of control? Well, I, and the nurses were, I mean, every it was extremely upsetting to your staff. Extremely upsetting. Sure. Horrible. Oh my God. Was this at the place that we worked together? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm nosy, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you the full details offline. What's that? I'll give you the full details offline. No, you won't, because that's a HIPAA violation. No, you're right. I won't. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> um, oh, my so, gosh. That's crazy. So do you have... Are you familiar with, like, the ethics team or committee at your various hospitals? I mean, I am at the one because I work in administration. Sure. So that's a, um, a great segue. Okay. Why... Like, I, I'm pretty sure most, if not all, I don't know legally what you're required or not required to have, if it's magnet, if it's whatever level, level of JCO cert- certification, but most hospitals have an ethics committee. Yeah. Where I, they, they can be consulted to come in. Whether or not they're effective is a different question, but <laughs> a lot of, and I, let's just be honest, I think that. A lot of the time it's going to be nursing staff who are there in the trenches with the patients and families who are going to be the ones who want to bring up these ethical questions. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, many don't know a... that this is a resource available to them. To nursing staff. Yeah, to anyone. Well, I mean, we utilized when we worked together, we there were occasions where we utilized ethics particularly yeah. when it came came to rooming transgender individuals. Mhm. I mean, that was a big hot topic because it was kind of like if if you had two of the same sex individuals identifying as a same sex individual, could they be roomed together? And they wouldn't even let them room together. Mhm. And it was like, well, why? You have two men identifying as women or vice versa. Why can they not room together? Right. I don't understand that. But so maybe that's a point where the ethics committee is just irrelevant. But Well, I mean, you're right. And like if it's I'm, that's, like, like I'm saying, I'm not saying that they're necessarily good or bad. I can't speak to that. But like right. the hospital I'm currently at, there's this a marvelous woman who works there. And when I went to a talk that she was giving, she explained how, you know, her, her method is first you listen to -hmm. what every individual is saying, their point of view, where they're coming from, and then you unpack it and find out is where they're coming from. You know, you might be saying that you're feeling X, Y, and Z because of one, two, and three, but really, you know, getting deeper into the the psyche of it a little bit and then Mm -hmm. helping people come to their own realization of what needs to happen. And I watched her do it and it's incredible. Maybe she's just particularly skilled. I don't know. But I've also (laughs) spoken to nurses who had no idea they even had ethics committees at their hospitals. I'm not saying it's going to get the solution that you want, but I think it's another unbiased pair of eyes. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of issues that you know, an ethics committee could be helpful in. Um, 
And, you know, that's just an educational thing of getting the word out to your staff that this is a, an available resource to you. I mean... Well, so in, just... my, in one of my stories that I was going to tell about this topic, the ethics committee was called in and they did the best they could, but ultimately it came down to not only a wife who refused to change her mind, but also a doctor whose ego was getting in the way. And I'll just be totally transparent about that. I watched all this happen. And the the story briefly is that this patient came in, LVAD, not a transplant candidate, not so LVAD's not being used as a bridge to anything. It's just like until his body can't go anymore and then they would have to sure. turn it off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, came in with a GI bleed as they do. He was hospitalized for probably six months. Easy. Okay. In and out of the ICU hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately received over two hundred blood products. Wow. And um, it was like every night someone hit the Groundhog Day button. <laughs> and by by you know a few weeks into this, the nurses are looking around like, "What the fuck are we doing?" Right. <laughs> And like, and like they were like, you know, that you go in the morning, and the wife would ask the same exact question she asked every single day. Try, I don't know if it was trying to trick them into giving the wrong answer, or if it was because she wasn't getting the answer she wanted, or I, I don't know. I can't speak to her, you know, rationale. Sure. But then the sure. nurses felt very attacked and very uncomfortable. Like I'm, a, I feel like I'm on trial, and that if I give the wrong answer you know, what is it going to mean? And then that would cause issues. And then ultimately they'd give a bunch of blood products that he would then, you might as well pour right into the toilet. Like he'd poop it right out. And it went on and on and on and on and on. What were the questions she was asking? Why aren't we going to do the GI scope? You know, what, what's the cause of this GI bleed? What's their next plan? Like it'd be this, and he was on all these experimental um, medications and all this stuff. And so she'd be asking all these things. So like GI ruled in and said, we can't do a scope because he's not going to survive it. Mm. Well, why, well, GI GI told me maybe they could do it. Why aren't we doing the GI scope? So the nurse would diligently go out and ask, and the provider would say, "No, they did not say they were going to do it. They said he would not survive it." Like we've had again, no further conversation again and again and again and again and again. But again, people hear what they want to hear. I mean, this is an extreme example, of course, because there's something not quite right going on here. Right. Um, so all that to say, ethics was called in. Because here, here's the question. How do we discharge this man? We can't stabilize him, but he's not, he's a full code. We've had a hundred no, discussions. No, he's, he's a hospice consult. He's, but they're not agreeable. We know they consulted a thousand times. They're not agreeable to it. The patient can make his own decisions. He's not agreeable to it. He's not unstable enough to be having a conversation about there's nothing more we can do. Mm-hmm. So we have to give him the blood products and then he would stabilize enough to like last a few more days until he needed them again. Like it was, it wasn't like he was actively dying in the ICU and we had to say like there, even if he's a full code and we code him, there's nothing more we can do. We did have that conversation, but he didn't get to, I mean, he did eventually, spoiler alert, did eventually die, but it wasn't yeah, like mean, that. So keep, for months if you and quit months giving months, him blood, pro- if you quit giving him blood products, he's not going to make it. Well, right, but how do we stop giving him blood products? What was the wife's take on all this? 
Meaning, like, what did she think he was going to work? She thought eventually he would stay restabilize enough to to go home like he has in the past. Despite people having frank conversations with her that that was likely not going to be the case. But then again, like I said before, this doctor's ego, who had put the LVAD in him and um, taken care of him for a long time, I I wonder if maybe she was giving mixed messages because of her own issues with it. I don't know. Mm. Mm. But the nurses were so uncomfortable. Well, most people are uncomfortable with LVADs from the get-go, but you talk about an LVAD with a GI bleed, and that's... Well, that's I mean, that's our floor. Like, that's the, that's the yeah. population. But yeah. um, they were uncomfortable with the plan of care, and, like, it went on and on. And ultimately, he, he died, and... Um, I mean, the bigger... One of the questions my coworker asked is, like, those are, that's a lot of blood products to not be used elsewhere right yeah sure that's i mean that's how i felt about it too well yeah because it's not like you're giving blood products to for like an acute i mean you're giving it to an acute on chronic condition not an acute condition and right and And if it was patients not gonna have a good a positive greater than 200 yeah i mean it's wild that's crazy so, I mean, sometimes I feel like there's a right answer. Often I feel like there's a right answer. But some of these ethical things, I don't know. I don't know, truly. I truly don't know what the right answer is. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what makes them ethical dilemmas. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting conversation, if nothing else. And I'm sure there's a million other debates, um, you know, that, that we could have. But... It, it's it'd be good to get feedback from from the the fans and yes. hear what they have to say and <laughs> you see hear, everyone like, what, we're calling you fans now you didn't know right? it, but that's what you which, are like which way do people which way do people fall do they fall on the like for example with the slow code do they feel like that's something that is a reasonable course of action for nursing staff to take or mm-hmm. do they fall on the side of the family where it's like, no, we need to support what the family wants? Mm-hmm. Or do we take our matters into our own hands? Or, yeah. And is, is morality universal or is it circumstantial? <laughs> that's a bigger, that's a big question that I don't have the answer to, although I do have an opinion. Well, that's asking, that's like asking, is morality black and white or is it gray? Yes. I mean... I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I think I, it's I think it's situational. I think every situation needs to be fully assessed. Yeah. There may end up being a black or white answer, but I don't think you can say 100% of the time we should not do slow codes or 100% of the time we should absolutely do slow codes. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree. I think there's a million shades of gray in between of everything. And depending on the situation, and I'm, I mean, any morality, I mean... You know, is is stealing right if it's the only way to give your child food? Right. You know, I mean, no, stealing isn't right. But at the same time, if I had no other way to feed my child, I'd probably be stealing food to give to my child. Totally. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things that it's like, yeah, I mean, you can sit here on one side of it and be like, it's black and white, but when you're in the thick of things, it's it's not. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. Well, and in that I situation, think... in theory, you'd have a judge who has objective um, 
law, but also subjective human, um, you know, realizations mm-hmm. who can come. But then in hospitals, who's the judge? Yeah, that's a valid question. You know, that's really what it comes down to. Like, we don't have an ultimate person would be like, okay, pro slow code is going to come present their information and con slow code is going to come present their information. And then someone gets to make a decision. Well, maybe we should start having that. I volunteer myself as tribute. I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) (laughs) So all that to say, if you have any feedback or your, your own, I bet you all do have your own stories. We'd love to hear them. We want to talk it out. We definitely would like to talk it out with you. And, you know, the great thing about these podcasts is once we get feedback from you guys, we can always circle back on these issues. So don't feel like the issue is dead and gone just because we've talked about it once because there's so many more things to say. So many more things. Always more things to say. (laughs) And I promise, like, today felt like a, a more serious topic. Uh, And sometimes we need to have those serious topics. So maybe... Um, one of our next topics will be hilarious nursing stories. Yes, we'll uh, and we can fun. we can lighten up the mood next time. Um, but we got to have some of these serious conversations because that's really the only way we get to the heart of nursing issues. And there's you know a lot of fun things to talk about, but there's a lot of serious things to talk about too. So uh, with that being said, you guys. We would love to hear your feedback on the ethical dilemmas. We want to hear your own stories about the ethical dilemmas. Where do you stand on these issues? Would you slow code somebody if you knew what we knew? Or would you err on the side of the family member? What are your thoughts on that? Um, send us other ethical dilemmas that you want us to touch talk about in, a, uh, in another podcast. But also, please, please, please send us all your hilarious nursing stories. We want to read them and talk about them and laugh with you and yes. at you. <laughs> and at you. Listen, listen, you're nothing if you can't laugh at yourself. Well, I mean, we're equal opportunity offenders, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so... So, uh, as always, we've had a total blast today, and we can't wait to hear all of your feedback. Make sure you send us email to nursecoffeetalk at gmail.com. Hit us up on the website at nursecoffeetalk.com. Get our Instagram at nursecoffeetalk. And also, subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe it, like it, love it, share it. Send it out to all your friends and family. Um, Anything else? Any closing thoughts, Sarah? No, thank you all for listening. We love and appreciate you. We love and appreciate you. That's so true. We I talk about you all you, the Jamie. time how much we love and appreciate you. Do you love and appreciate me as much as I love and appreciate you? Are you talking to me or the fans? Yeah, I'm talking right to you. Oh, I always love and appreciate you. I couldn't do this without you. <laughs> You're my boo. You're my boo. Aww. Aww. All right, right everybody. That wraps up another <laughs> issue of Nurse Coffee Talk, and we can't wait to chat again soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.